Lend-Lease Group is preparing to exit its $1 billion waterbank project in East Perth, handing it back to the state government after more than a decade of investment. The multinational developer made the decision this week after months of speculation about its plans for the site. Lend-Lease told Business News the developer would hand back the site to the state government after it completed works to prepare a portion of the site for future development. The developer won a contract to develop on the six-hectare site back in 2011 with plans to create a 1,000 apartment hotel, commercial offices, retail and public spaces on the site. But rapidly escalating construction costs, supply chain disruptions and labour shortages have plagued the sector since the start of the pandemic. Lendlease posted a $264 million loss in its recent half-year results. Lendlease spoke about the complexities involved with Waterbank back in 2018, but at the time was intent on pushing ahead. Industry insiders have spoken about the complexity of the site's proximity to the water table, which would bring additional challenges around development developing the area. And in other property news, a troubled apartment block is getting a revival as the developer behind Perth's Doubletree Hotels aims to build a 19-storey apartment building at the Burswood site. Malaysian-backed SKS Group lodged an application with a $40 million price tag to the state government's Metro Inner South Joint Development Assessment Panel late last month. The application proposes a 19-storey development comprising 107 apartments, 12 townhouses and 187 square metres of commercial space on Hawthorne Place in Burswood. Avalon West bought the Burswood site back in 2000, but the company was placed in voluntary liquidation in 2016. Business News previously reported SKS Group paid $9.2 million to take on Avalon West's development, dubbed Hawthorne Green, after work stalled in late 2015. The previous Hawthorne Green design advertised on the group's website shows a 12-storey building comprising 84 apartments and four townhouses at the 4,485-square-metre site. A spokesperson for SKS Group said the initial project name of Hawthorne Green would now be changed. The town of Victoria Park is yet to open community consultation for the proposal. And the state's Auditor-General has repeated her call for more transparency and regular reporting on major government projects after quantifying time and cost blowouts on multiple developments. Caroline Spencer said the state government had budgeted to spend $7 billion this year on major projects for roads, hospitals, schools, prisons and other government infrastructure. But she said Parliament and the public could not easily access detailed or consolidated information on the cost and time progress of the projects. The Office of the Auditor-General's report looked at 17 projects and found there to have been an 11% increase in their cost, from $5.11 billion to $5.67 billion. Ms Spencer said her first major projects transparency report, which was tabled back in 2020, recommended the Department of Finance work to improve transparency through regular reporting to Parliament and the public on the cost, time and status of major projects. But she said this had still not been done, with the same recommendation included in the most recent report. Ms Spencer said this reporting would satisfy public interest, promote accountability and build community trust and confidence around the management of the state's budget. We understand that business relies on being informed. 
That's why Business News is your most reliable source of news, industry insights and business connections. To stay fully informed, we encourage you to subscribe to our emails, flick through our magazine and visit businessnews.com.au for daily news updates. It's the best way to ensure you have the information you need to be future ready. Business News. More news, more insights, more connections. It was the week that Dutton came to town. In fact, it was the week when the entire Shadow Cabinet, minus a handful of well-known faces, came to Perth to have their first Shadow Cabinet meeting. Uh, probably an imperative for them because they got smashed in Western Australia. Uh, we both went along to a handful of things. Uh, before I talk about uh, what I witnessed, maybe talk a bit about <laughs> talk about David Littleproud. <laughs> you make it sound like you saw a crime unfolding. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> before I talk about that... Talk me through uh, what David Littleproud had to say outside State Parliament with Colin de Grusa. Yeah, he did a uh, joint press conference with the State Nationals and spoke a lot about sheep. The issue, of course, is that the Federal Labor Government have signalled an end to the live sheep export. The trade, according to the Federal Labor, uh, needs to come to an end. And the message from uh, David Littleproud was that he and our Premier, Mark McGowan, share the same view that the live sheep export trade should continue. And so he's over here, believe it or not, saying he wants to meet with Mark McGowan to talk about a way to make that succeed. He wants the WA Premier to be an ally for him in Canberra in the fight against federal labour who want to end the live sheep export trade. Now, you talk about strange bedfellows. You couldn't get any stranger than that. So that was obviously the posturing that David Littleproud wanted to get out there. Uh, of course, for our Premier, he does have a view that since the horror videos that we saw of the live sheep export uh, that sort of started unfolding around 2017, 2018, a lot's been done and that he sees the industry as viable with the sort of protocols that are now in place. So Premier Mark McGowan's much more satisfied uh, than some of his Labor caucus and indeed uh, perhaps one of his Labor cabinet members. But it's easy for him to say, I'll protect the live sheep export trade in WA or I'll back it, knowing full well that it's really a federal decision. And so therefore a federal Labor go off and, and follow through on what they've been talking about, perhaps in the next term. Uh, then, you know, Mark McGowan will just say, well, I tried. I can't see him sitting down with David Littleproud and, and holding a joint press conference about uh, taking on federal Labor. I can't see that happening, but I got I got the politics of what David Littleproud was trying to do. Yeah, it is strange, bedfellows. Is, is there even a precedent for this? I mean, obviously this week we saw Dominic Perrottet and Dan Andrews work together on childcare funding, but I, c I can't think of any sort of... Uh, attempt at triangulation of this sort, at least in recent memory. No, and of course for Mark McGowan, it's an easier narrative when it's him speaking against uh, plans of a coalition government out of Canberra. It's an easier narrative, of course, and we saw that through the pandemic, didn't we, in terms of that that sort of wedge politics. But um, but no, I, I don't think so. I think that, as I said, the Premier will continue to say that he's seen a lot of uh, progress in the live sheep export trade. He believes it's viable suggesting he's got the back of those sheep farmers and everyone else that relies on it. But it's a federal decision, and it, it seems like Anthony Albanese and his cabinet are determined to bring an end to the trade uh, in the next term. I think there's already a... a and, I mean, they, they talk about it like they're going to win a next term, but anyway, let's say they win a next term, that's when they'll bring it to an end, which will be a pretty big move. I mean, you're talking about 3,000 people employed in that industry, uh, the money... 
is well over $100 million in terms of the, the revenue that it brings. So it's a big move. And, and David Littleproud makes a pretty good point. He says if we don't do it, if Australia don't um, export those sheep to, to Middle Eastern countries and so on that want it for cultural reasons, they want live sheep, someone else will and they won't be anywhere near um, as worried about the animal welfare stakes as Australia. Now he says that of course with us all knowing what we were seeing in 2018 aboard the ships heading east. They were Middle East, they were shocking conditions and embarrassing for the nation. Well, it's the same argument with coal, isn't it, when the Nationals say, well, we sell the clean coal, and if they don't buy the clean coal, they'll buy the dirty stuff elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess the only example I can really think of off the top of my head was when there was a Liberal New South Wales or a Coalition New South Wales state government uh, when Julia Gillard was Prime Minister. I don't know if you recall this, and Adrian Piccoli was Education Minister, was Nationals MP, and right. he was in favour of the Gonski reforms, and I recall that being obviously quite controversial. So, But then I don't think that was really wedge politics. I think that was more, getting back to that example with Perrottet and Andrews, uh, policy priority that overlapped with with a federal government that just so happened to have an alternative party in power but nevertheless i digress i think the bigger issue is going to be um the gst issue to be honest in terms of how other states collaborate on that one and Mm. it might be labor states with liberal states collaborating on that as we've already seen Hey? We've already seen with yeah, Victoria I, and New South Wales. You know, and so that's the bigger issue that uh, the Premier will have to fight off. Um, of course, you know, we know that the, the federal Labor government before the election said that they have no intention of uh, changing the, the GST floor for Western Australia and, and looking at that. But, you know, it always gets reviewed, uh, the GST uh, system, and I think its next uh, one is 2024. Yeah. And so, therefore, anything's possible. And while that happens, of course, it's, it's good. Look, put it bluntly, having a Premier who's able to fight Canberra on anything, you know, is a good thing for him or her uh, because people see that he's in, in there to bat for, for his state. And, of course, we've seen over the pandemic, nowhere has been more parochial and colloquial than Western Australia. We, we, we take the cake now. Even Peter Dutton made a joke. I think during one of his press conferences about how Western Australia leaves Queensland in the in the shade now in terms of that whole colloquial push. <laughs> yeah, look, I, putting the economic arguments to the side, I think tampering with the GST, uh, unless Anthony Albanese wants to govern with the Greens and the Tories as <laughs> a minority government, I don't think he's going to be touching that anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned Peter Dutton's press conferences. I went to see him go speak on a Riverside Drive. and uh, it was Riverside pretty... Drive, why was that, mate? Why was he down there? Yeah, yeah good question. <laughs> Not too sure. <laughs> yes, the, the parliamentary officers probably weren't nice enough. Uh, and uh, he offered his view on a handful of uh, major topics. Uh, in fact, someone put it to him uh, that Mark McGowan had insulted him in the past, and he said he was willing to work with him productively. I wonder if that's actually going to happen. Don't you, don't, aren't politicians weird? I mean, you know, so, so Premier Mark McGowan... You know, makes a point of very publicly stating that he's seen Peter Dutton in operation and he's seen him speak. He, he thinks, thinks he's, he's an smart. he thinks he's an extremist that's not that smart. And Peter Dutton has to cop that in the on the chin because, of course, he wants to forge ahead in WA, having had uh, you know members of Parliament wiped out at the last federal election. I mean, yeah, it's just a game. It's just a game, and, you, and when you see examples of that, you know it's a game, because otherwise Peter Dutton would have come over here and on another circumstance and just gone, how dare he say that about me? He doesn't know me from Adam. He says I'm not that smart. Well, I, I'll say he, he needs to show more humility, but, you know, they don't do that, do they?
I think as well, Peter Dutton's confronting the fact that he's not terribly popular here in WA, if not the rest of the country for that matter. Um, but one thing that I picked up on in the brief few minutes that we could see him in the shadow cabinet meeting was he gets on really well with people. He has good chats with his uh, with his uh, colleagues in in shadow cabinet. He smiles, he laughs with them. He's very uh, a convivial character. Uh, and then the ca- the cameras turn off, and he becomes this almost Darth Vader like figure. Mm. Uh, I've said this before. He reminds me almost of Mitch McConnell in the US, somebody who really prides themselves on a annoying other people on the other side of other side of the aisle and killing their policy priorities yeah. so it's i find it's a, a bit of a delicate balance maybe for the character he plays in public and what he's like when the cameras aren't rolling i suppose okay given the benefit of the doubt given the portfolios he's had to manage mm. and he has to stand up there and talk about you know harsh immigration measures and he has to stand up there and talk about defense measures as he has done um in recent years maybe Oh look, maybe there's a human side that that, we, that people don't see, and certainly his colleagues do. So maybe he's going to have to sort of change that up and be a bit more convivial when he's talking to people, and and be a bit more um, human. I think human is probably what's what he's lacking. And, and I'm not saying he he himself lacks it. I'm saying that the perception of mm. Peter Dutton is that he is a you know very right wing character who has no emotion when it comes to deciding the fate of families who are stuck in detention, uh, you know, has no qualms about calling out China and talking up the issues of whether, you know, we need to be on a war footing with China and so on. So maybe, you know, he's going to have to change his personality in some way and how he comes across in the media. That's possible as an opposition leader. He's going to have to talk about a whole range of subjects, not just those ones. Uh, but he's got a long way to go, and there's big question marks over whether he could possibly lead them to another election, given the reasons they lost the last one. Uh, you know, the reasons are women didn't like the Morrison government. Uh, there was a mood on climate change, and you've got to ask yourself whether Peter, but Peter Dutton comes from the right part of the Liberal Party to to change all of those perceptions i doubt it well that leads me into my next question does he get rolled in the next three years and if he does get rolled who's taken over no i don't i do not know the answer to who takes over but i'll say it again i'd be surprised if he's the leader in the election look the other thing is he has come into opposition with a whole feast of issues that will challenge the new government, you know, the cost of living, inflation, uh, electricity, energy supplies, they are big issues and there's plenty for them to play off um, during uh, parliamentary question time and so on when that resumes in July. So how long have the Labor government got to go through that honeymoon process where they can just keep talking about the last government it being their fault? Will, will the public, who are going to start to hurt, uh, don't worry about that, with interest rates and so on, who are going to start to hurt, keep thinking, oh, well, it's not this government's fault, it's the last government's fault, or are they just going to be starting to look for someone to blame come 2025 when things get a little bit um, tight in their budgets and so on, um, and, and if there's no improvements coming and there's no benefits of a new Labor government, are they going to be looking? You know, it's a, it is an interesting sort of scenario to walk into um, opposition with all those issues to play with. Uh, and I guess that reminds me as well of Tony Abbott when he came into the job in 2009, and uh, I think Matt McKenzie, when he's been on this podcast before, has made this point. People looked at him and they thought, wow, look at this look at this guy. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think what, you, what you're saying is that in opposition... 
if you can bang that negativity on and on and on, and you can, and that starts to punctuate through to voters, you know, they don't just get sick of hearing it's the negativity. Very useful. But it starts to work in their mind. Uh, then you know he could actually be in that respect, you know, the perfect opposition leader for the time. But it's whether you know whether or not those issues that confronted Morrison at the last election just disappear. I don't think they just disappear. So I, it'll it'll be interesting to see how he how he decides to go about it. But the negativity thing, you know, it certainly worked for Abbott. Well, the the last point I'll leave us on, and maybe you can comment broadly on this, but uh, I guess the. The moment right now reminds me of a state election in 2017 when the Labor Party came to came to office amid some pretty tough uh, conditions for for working people. And four years later, they completely crushed the opposition, uh, given that at times they proved ineffectual. Do you think that maybe that might happen in the mid 20s? Yes, yeah, it's possible. Um, there's going to be some issues for Mark McGowan, though. If you're talking about that, uh, you know, the state budget, all the assumptions in there around um, what the wage rise for the public sector should be, they're wrong now. They're out of date. It was only like six weeks ago or whatever, but they're out of date now because the federal treasurer keeps talking about inflation rates skyrocketing, um, backing in 5.2% minimum uh, wage rises um, and talking about how, you know, cost of living pressures aren't going away, interest rates are going to keep going up, petrol prices, and not much they can do about those. So for the Labor government here to go, we're going to give you 2.75% and that's it, take it or leave it. I don't know. I think the unions are going to be pushing back hard now because uh, there's about 11 um, negotiations for wage agreements within the public sector happening in the next few months. I would say that uh, very few of those unions are just going to cop 2.75%, so it's going to change the whole formula of the budget. Well, the state government was seen as a boon for Mr Albanese this year, maybe in three years' time, or in 2025, I should say. Uh, maybe it'll be seen as a milestone around Mr Albanese's neck. Mm, maybe. You don't You don't know because it, it can turn and turn quick. I mean, what is it they say about uh, fish, fish and guests in your house? Three days maximum. They go <laughs> off after three days. Well said, Gary. Thank you. was brought to you by Optus Stadium, now taking orders for your next breakfast or lunch meeting. If you like what you've heard, head to our Spotify page to like and subscribe. New episodes of At Close of Business are available every day in time for our afternoon wrap. I'm Jordan Murray. See you tomorrow.